welcome back or welcome to the Humans of Triathlon or Hot podcast where we bring you the ordinary but extraordinary world of triathlon one human one story at a time with the aim to inspire and to celebrate this life-changing sport and its humans through real authentic raw and enjoyable conversations with humans of triathlon from around the globe and from all walks of life Hello humans of triathlon this is Swapnil Chauhan here speaking from India along with my co-host Robin Mayal aka Radmom Robin from Oregon US it's just going to be the two of us today without Charles but we're joined by an amazing guest here from Sunshine Coast Queensland Australia our guest today really puts the endure in endurance he's tackled some of the longest and toughest challenges in his home country of australia including a 14000 km bike ride and the infamous ultraman australia but he wasn't always this endurance monster we have with us today his journey started about 6 years ago in a time where he used food and alcohol to battle unhappiness and depression I think you'll want to hear about his journey from the start to his first sprint triathlon to his first Ironman and now to helping others achieve their transformations. So please welcome to the Hot Podcast, Coach Greg McDermott. Hi Greg. G'day guys, how are you going? Great to have you. Welcome Greg. <laughs> thanks for having thanks for having me on. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, definitely I'm I have really been looking forward to this like your journey and the stuff you've done is pretty darn cool yeah especially given where you came from and how quickly you've transitioned from that low point to where you are right now it's pretty crazy and i can't wait to just dive right into it and for people to hear your story so thank you for coming on the show thank you okay so i think the best way to go about your journey would just be to go through it in like a chronological order because i think that would give give everyone listening an insight a good perspective and an insight into how you've grown developed and just evolved as an athlete and human along the way so yeah sure to take so take us back to a point in your life where you want this strong athlete and person that you are today <laughs> yeah sure it wasn't actually that long ago I'll go, i'll go back one step further than that first i um i grew up in sydney in australia and started my sporting career if you like as a as a soccer or football player depending on where you are in the world and and had a dream of you know representing my country and and playing in the national league in Australia and then overseas and and that never sort of came to fruition and and looking back now probably wasn't good enough mm. so injury stopped that I got into triathlon and and um when first firstly back in 2004 or 5 I did a couple of smaller tries um a distance called a tin man which I don't know many people in the world still to still attempt but um then i sort of got into a real estate career and a couple of other jobs which didn't find any um any love or happiness in and and found um alcohol and and food were my two vices to sort of keep me happy um as i went through my 20s um and as an outsider looking in many people looked at my life and said oh you know he's got a great career he's you know a fun single guy i was always You know when you go to a wedding and there's always that guy that at the end of the night who's looking to kick on after the wedding. Well that that was me. That was definitely me. So um no it was sort of like one beer or a hundred beers. There was sort of nothing in between. And I it took me till I was 30 years of age to really have an understanding that 
that wasn't a lifestyle for me and I I was purchased as a Christmas gift some personal training with a, with actually with a mate of mine and it was a bit of a challenge. It took me three months before I went down and started. It was three sessions a week. It was a literally a weight loss gym um, and I never saw myself as a inverted commas a fat guy. I was always just <laughs> a little bit overweight but I could always change that whenever I wanted. Um, so I so I went along and um, Steve who was my trainer and still a mate to this day, he um, he thrashed me. It was, um, <laughs> I'd never, ever forget my first session with him was three minutes on the roller and I stopped halfway through and um, he, he sort of, we still talk about it now, and he sort of thought I was, I said, look, you just need to give me a minute and I just got off the roller and I left. But I actually went to throw up <laughs> because <laughs> I'd eaten a big breakfast before I came. And so he thought I was leaving and quitting. But I came back and we finished the session. And, and as they say, the, the rest is history, I suppose. So I, I lost 30 kilos in. So to give us some perspective, I, I clocked in that day at 110 kilograms. So about 240 pounds, I guess, 250 maybe for, for uh, mm-hmm. our old school uh, pound listeners. Um, so. Uh, so 110 kilos and within three months I lost 30 kilos to come down to 80. So followed a, like everything in my life, still to this day I think there's an element of it. I'm sort of all in or none in. So it was, okay, here we go. I'm going to make this happen and I'm going to prove firstly to everyone else but secondly to myself that I can do it. Um, so I had a lot of um, pushback from let's say my old social party, um, if you like. So the guys that I used to finish selling real estate with on a you know on a Saturday and then I, I'd, I'd go to the pub and I'd play catch up till seven o'clock at night and then we'd kick on into the city they they didn't like the new Greg um, oh. that, because he, he wasn't going out anymore you know I, I stopped drinking alcohol altogether for a nine month period um, and started focusing on eating really well and training you know two times a day if not once a day mm-hmm and I always, I always harboured this dream from when I, um, I went to the Foster Ironman, which was um, the original uh, Ironman destination in Australia on the mid-north coast. I went there in 1999 um, on a family holiday and I saw these guys finishing this event and I started asking questions like, what's this? What's going on here? Why is this guy? He can't walk. These guys are finished. There's these other girls or guys that are just starting their run. What, what's going on? So... I, um, you know, I was back then they used to do a replay one, one hour package on the TV of, of Kona every year. And I'd sort of watch that and always look at it and think, I'd love to do that one day. But being a 110 kilo guy selling real estate on a Saturday morning while everyone else was out training was probably not the right lifestyle for me to sort of have a crack at the dream. So it's, um, so yeah, post, I, I started. I actually uh, entered Ironman Melbourne. Um, so I started the weight loss journey January 2013 and I entered Ironman Melbourne for March 2014. So I had, I knew I had a 14-month run into Ironman, if you like, to, to get my body and, and my head right um, and ready to tackle what I thought was the hardest, um, the hardest event in the world. But obviously going forward from that, I've found, I've found tougher things mentally and physically. <laughs> it sounds um, like it. And there's more out there. Don't worry about that. But um, yeah, so I I, um, I spent the next 12, uh, 12 months. I I completed three or four half Ironmans um, in and around Australia, 
and then went down to Melbourne in March 2014. So 14-month period from a 110-kilo guy that, that drank probably 40 to 50 alcoholic drinks a week to finishing my first Ironman triathlon. So, yeah, that was, that was sort of the, wow. the leading story, yeah. So let's go back a little bit. Like what, you know, the most interesting part of any transformative journey is that point where the person just goes, yeah, enough is enough. I want to change now. And like you said, you knew you were overweight, but you thought you could change that anytime you wanted. So what made you want to change at that particular time? Yeah, so the, the wake up call or the, the rock bottom moment or whatever you want to call it for me, um, I went to a, I was a groomsman at a mate's wedding on the 5th of January, I think it might have been, 4th or the 5th of January 2013. And, um, you know, like most weddings, you go and get your suit fitted six weeks before and, and then you show up on the day, all that sort of stuff. So when I went to put my suit on uh, the day of the wedding, yeah, I said to one of the other boys, um, I said, oh, I think I've got the wrong suit. And he's like, no, nah, it's got your name on it. And I'm like, no, nah, it just doesn't fit. And I literally couldn't do the, it was like a three-piece suit with a vest. Um, and I couldn't do the vest up. And I remember thinking at that moment, wow, so in the last six weeks, this used to fit and it doesn't fit anymore. And I'll never forget the that day at the wedding, the bride was into me all day about doing up this vest, right? So she's like, you have to do your vest up for the photos. have to do it. I'm like, Adrian, it won't. I can't do it up. Like it's going to bust. Um, and then so that, um, that was sort of the moment and I knew that night. So being a groomsman at, you know, one of your best mate's weddings, it was always going to be a huge night on the drink. But I remember uh, my parents were at the wedding as well and um, – I said to my mum at 11.30, I said, I'm going to come home with you guys. And she's like, well, what do you mean? You're not going out? I'm like, no, nah, I'm done. I've had enough. So that was the – That was on that the, was the breaking I, point. The 4th or 5th of January, yeah, and I, I literally started the uh, personal training on the 8th. I, I rang my mate, the, you know, that, let's say that was a Saturday. I rang him on the Monday. I said, mate, we need to start now. Mm. And that was, that was sort of it and made a pact with him actually, the groom at the time. So – Good little tip out for anyone, and I've, I've used this with a lot of um, athletes I now coach as well. Um, I made a, a commitment to him um, for some accountability. So he didn't have a drink for nine months and neither did I. That was our, that was our commitment to each other. And, and mm. if anyone cracked through that period, they had to give the other one a 1000 bucks. Um, and the last thing in, on this earth that I wanted to do at the time was write out a check of 1000 bucks <laughs> to my mate for having a beer. So... I still think to this day he cheated, but I, I got no evidence of that. So, um, so yeah, we made it to the the nine month, you know, that that sort of that date nine months later. And I remember we celebrated. We we had a beer. Uh, we had a beer together on on my parents' front lawn. Um, but it was one or two drinks. It wasn't fifty drinks. So it, it totally transformed my mindset. And I think you know, um, you guys obviously speak to a lot of endurance athletes. Um, around the planet and coaches and people in and around the sport and I think mindset is often the unforgotten part of the sport of, of any endurance sport whether it be yeah. you know long distance swimming through to ultra running or whatever it may be it's just this missed missed portion of the sport where I was literally out on the bike this morning and listened to David Goggin's new book and uh, you know he's got this theory of you've got when you think you're done, you've only used 40% of what's actually in your body. So you've got another 60% to go and that's all mindset related. So I really, um, I really engage with that. 
So yeah, there were like two things there. There was one of immediate action once you made the decision, and after that, accountability. I was gonna say accountability. Yeah, yeah, accountability is huge, right? It's just um, I I just um, see it all the time. Like now, I'm a full time, you know, endurance sports coach, and and I often um, I often say to April, my partner, I'm like, one of the things that I not um, not dislike, but one of the hardest parts I find in the job is writing programs for athletes um, because there's no, I'm not interacting with the athlete as much while I'm doing that. It's time consuming and I understand it's very important. Um, but I often say to athletes, especially self-coached athletes that come to our business, their main difference is they're absolutely really great athletes and they train really well, but they lack the accountability to anyone. Mm. So we um, we use the Training Peaks platform in our business, and and it's huge for accountability. You know, there's a, a red, green, and amber light system, yeah. and um, <laughs> depending on depending on your personality, it's um, you know I have athletes that send me a message like I did this session, I should have a green light. It's like yeah, okay, I'll see what's happened. So <laughs> so I think um, and and that's on a very small scale. I think um, to have you know, some technology built in around accountability um, and you know that there's a coach watching or, you know, or your partner's watching. And I think often as human beings, I think we we sort of put things out there and say we're going to do things um, in the world, but there's there's a lack of accountability to anyone or anything. So we just sort of roll through with like, I'm going to do this one day or I'm going to run a marathon one day. Well, when's the day going to come? You know, there's that, you need to have that conversation, whether it be with yourself with a partner or a coach or someone in your life that's going to, you know, drive drive you a little bit towards that. When when times are tough, it's all it's all you know. It's very easy when you know the, when the sun's shining and you know I'm lucky enough to live on the Sunshine Coast. It's pretty easy to get out and train here. But you know when it's um, you know for you, Robin, we were saying just before, like you're in the depths of winter. It's pretty difficult to get out and train. Yeah. Um, so the accountability needs to be there for sure. Well, and don't you think like humans, we're amazingly good at lying to ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like we can totally fool yeah. ourselves. It's like, uh, you know, it's, it's incredible. Yeah, absolutely. So when you work with people, how do you get them? Like, do you have suggestions for them to become accountable to friends or training partners? Or um, is the coaching kind of enough usually? Uh, depending on the athlete, you know, there's you, everyone like, so we coach a, Obviously, it's an endurance sports coaching business. So anywhere from a cyclist to a you know an Ironman athlete, I've got Ultraman athletes now and all that sort of stuff. Guy, we had an athlete tackle the Hurt 100 last week in Hawaii. So, um, but every athlete's different um, in the fact that you know some people. So I schedule in a weekly call with all my athletes every week, and some guys or girls are like, "Man, I don't you know I, I don't need to hear from you this month. You know, just keep the plan coming through and." I'll, I'll tick the boxes, whereas other athletes might want to talk to you two and three times a week um, mm. or, you know, or, or tell you that, you know, you get a text message at nine o'clock at night saying, I'm just leaving the concert. It's like, yeah, good on you. Like, but it takes, I think in this world, it takes all types. And I think that's what, as a coach, you need to be able to help people. I, I always say you need to meet people where they're at. So, you know, um, if the if we're working with an elite athlete, I'm I'm going to coach them a whole lot different than I will. Um, and just with my background, I get a lot of what I call couch to Ironman guys um, because it's like like with like. So we get a lot of inquiry from that sort of athlete. 
And um, often they're easier to work with than an elite athlete, but they need a little different direction and, um, you know, the conversation's very different. So, so for an elite athlete, I might be talking about the three minutes of, of wattage at the back end of a hard set, whereas, you know, at a, at a micro or at the other end of the scale, I might be talking to an athlete about, hey, we need to run for four more minutes and then have a walk or, you know what I mean? It's just that different yeah. sort of language that needs to be. And, and it's not a, you know, I'm not saying that one athlete's better than the other by no stretch is that, is that true because I see it all the time that, you know, often an age group athlete puts in just as much time or if not more time uh, when you balance all the other things into their life than a professional athlete does and they don't get the same rewards. So um, personally, they probably do. So it's, yeah, it's an interesting concept. But accountability is king for me, absolute number one. Right. So like you are the one giving the advice and helping people right now, but back then you had to seek help yourself, right? Like you even went and saw a professional psychologist, if I'm not wrong. Yep. And so from pretending to be to the world that you're happy to then having the courage to go seek help, like what allowed you to take that step and be okay with it? Yeah, um, I I think deep down I knew that I was struggling with mental health, um, and I was brought up. My my father was a you know from an Irish family um, came out here forty to Australia forty years ago and was one of six kids in a two and a half bedroom home with no money. Um, and so as a male, you never show weakness, right? It's this old school mentality of you know harden up you know you don't I've, to this day I don't I've never seen my my father actually cry mm. and, I'm, and that's not having a go at him that's just the way he is you know so it's um that so that was a difficult step um I had um some help from my brother and sister-in-law at the time that they sort of pushed me a little bit in towards you know going and seeking out some help and and he rang me one day and he said um I found out that I didn't I didn't have a lot of money then either and through through drinking and gambling as well so that was all part of my you know my own issues so he rang me and he said you don't even need to pay for this you just need to go to a gp anywhere in australia and you'll get 10 free sessions with a you know a professional psychologist that might be able to help you a little bit so i i sort of it took me weeks to drum up the courage to sit in front of a, a gp and say i've got mental health issues i'm not happy and you know and it was Looking back now, it's the easiest thing I've ever done. Like I sat in an office, you know, with a perfect stranger and said, look, I need some help. That, that's as simple as the conversation was. And um, I still remember she she asked me a couple of questions. She said, I'm going to write you out a, a prescription or whatever it was called at the time um, to go seek out some, some mental health uh, free of charge for 10 sessions and then it's up to you if you continue after that or you can come back and see me and I can issue you with another 10, um, you know, as part of our pretty amazing Medicare system in Australia. So, wow. Yeah. So, so that's what I did. I, you know, I went and saw a, I saw a girl and, and um, a psychologist, I shouldn't say a girl, a psychologist. And um, she was, I was pretty adamant at the time that I wouldn't, uh, I've never been, I've never taken any drugs apart from maybe a couple of antibiotics or something like that. And, and I didn't want to go down the um, the, the drug uh, antidepressant route and all that sort of stuff. So I told her that, and um, she was pretty receptive to all of that. And and over a you know a period of weeks, we put in some some structure into uh, into my own life to deal with the feelings I had. Um, and 
and deal with them in in real time as opposed to what I would do was bottle them up, bottle them up, not talk to anyone, and then it would come Friday night and it would be like, right, who's going to the pub? Let's go. And that was mm. my coping mechanism was, um, you know, and and people use any, all sorts of things in life to mask mental health issues. So drugs, alcohol um, are probably the main two that, you know, we'd all hear about. To be fair, exercise is another one. Um, you know, we see that it sometimes. Be, yeah. Eating is probably the biggest one. I've, I've, I've missed that off. Um, so the old, <laughs> the old bucket of ice cream and two bottles of wine, you know, three nights a week and, and sort of then looking at your life and saying, yeah, I don't know why I'm putting on weight. I just can't work it out. It's like, well, let's have a look how, you, <laughs> how your eating patterns are going. So that, yeah, it's, um, I definitely sought out help and it's probably the best thing I did for myself and I'd encourage anyone out there. I mean, look, you can reach out to me. I'll, I'll definitely be able to help in some scope if, if that is only referring you to go and talk to a professional um, because I'm not a qualified psychologist or psychiatrist, but I've lived an experience um, and I understand what it, where, where people are at. And what's interesting is, is now as a coach, it's sort of, uh, I think I said it before, like attracts like a little bit. So, you know, I've got a, a couple of our athletes who'd be quite happy if I even mentioned their names, which I won't, um, but they have had drug issues in the past through mental health. And I'm quite happy to work with people like that. You know, it's, it's, um, you've got to, I'm always of the opinion you've got to give people an opportunity to, you know, show their true potential. So if we can surround them with a few things in life, which, you know, for in, in our business, you know, it might be a triathlon or it might be a, 100 kilometer cycling event or it it might be losing 30 kilos or whatever it may be but you know for someone into music or art they've just got to get around that right sort of community so surrounding um surrounding yourself with like-minded people that are on the the same journey to where you're going or where you've come from you know really helps really helps do you ever feel like you've had athletes that you coach that are using triathlon in an unhealthy way to mask um something do you ever have to help people kind of back off from that yes yeah a little bit um i think that's i think that's a role of a big role of coaching is um is helping the athlete understand that they might need a rest from time to time Hmm. um and that that going you know running your your pb 5k every second weekend is probably not in your best interest like it, it sort of might help your ego a little bit at the time but you know, you've got a 20k run set to do the next day, which isn't going to have too much positivity in it if you're coming off really tired all the time. Often find that the athlete that gets injured is that type of athlete that will overtrain. And now, in, is is that a mental health issue or is that just simply that's their personality? I, I'm not sure at times whether whether that's that's it. But kind of the the classic. Uh triathlete type a type personality 100 percent. yeah it's it's funny when um i've seen this for a couple of years now that you start working with an athlete that's been self-coaching for five years and within four months they've, they're getting pbs or prs in certain events or they're you know they're jumping onto the podium and they're like i'm actually training less than what i used to it's like yeah but you're training a lot smarter and you're not going into a race totally fatigued Um, So I think often the role of the coach is to advise on, you know, on rest um, and adaptability. So it's recovery. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm the classic example this morning. I had a, I had a really big day training yesterday um, and woke up 
later, an hour later this morning than than what I should have to do my my set that you know the session that I had planned. Um, but it was like, oh, my legs are really heavy. I'm just going to go for a spin for an hour and a half, and I'm going to grab a coffee, and I'm going to you know. And now we're doing the podcast, so it's um, <laughs> yeah, you've got to you've got to have some adaptability in your life to and some understanding that you know training tired isn't always training smart there's definitely times in your life where i believe that you should train fatigued because you know especially for endurance events it it, and i'm still another david goggins quote from this morning it calluses the mind it calluses the mind that's a good one that's a ripper i'm gonna (laughs) i'm just gonna have to keep putting it out there but i have to give him credit every time no that's a great quote he is a beast oh man it's uh yeah he's he's had a pretty interesting uh interesting life um and yeah it's um it's been a it's it's been a real return for me to audiobooks actually I, I sort of um stopped listening to anything while I was on the bike and focused on my bike training for about the last four or five months so I go out you know do five or six hours with nothing in my ears and um which has been great because you can focus on technique and breathing and all those sorts of things but to have a you know, my easier rides now, I'm putting in a nice audio book with this guy talking to me and, and all of a sudden I'm riding along and let's say my heart rate should be at about 120 and it's at 140 because I'm listening to this guy <laughs> just ripping in on this podcast sort of style of book. So yeah, it's been good. So talk to us a little about your your further kind of transformation from Ironman to ex- what people would call extreme endurance events. Yeah, yeah cool. So um, what happened so there? Did- yeah, yeah, that's a good question. Um, still trying to answer it myself. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, I did. Um, I did two full, like two um, Ironman events, um, and then on the third one, I actually got a bit jack of um, forking out a thousand US dollars and traveling. And and I, I said to April, my partner at the time, I'd started doing a. Sorry, April is still my partner, but at the time. <laughs> Um, I um, I remember saying to her, you know, I'm a bit sick of all this stuff, and and I'd started um, doing some work with a with a, an amazing organisation in Sydney called um, Father Chris Riley's Youth Off the Streets, and they they work directly with um, disassociated and homeless youth in in and around Sydney, but now expanding across Australia, and um, started doing some work with them and. I decided that instead of me paying out a thousand bucks, I'll create my own little Ironman course and I'll go and do my own one. So I got a few mates together and we we did it on the same day as Ironman Australia and it was a very tough event. We had rain all day. So that was my first sort of plan your own event experience. You did two or three Ironmans in the span of 12 months, didn't you? Yes, I did. Yeah, 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 yeah. So probably I would now as a coach not advise that whatsoever. But in do, saying do as that, I say, not as I do coaching. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. But you learn, you, you learn through learning, right? So right. it's uh, so so. My body was um, was was not in a great state at the end of that. Nor was my mind, to be honest, because it was um, it was a constant battle to keep fit, stay fit, stay uninjured. You know, dealing with a lot of niggly injuries and things which I never addressed. So then I, I looked further afield, if you like, and. And found a guy named Craig Percival, who's um, unfortunately no longer with us. For those that are listening and and know the story, but um, he sort of encouraged me to get into this thing called Ultraman, um, which he had finished second at, and I just started following him online. and And there was an event in Noosa, so I entered it, and um, yeah, lucky enough to get a slot to come up to Noosa. And I was living in Sydney at the time, and 
and have a crack at Ultraman. So Ultraman, for those that don't know, is a three-day um, endurance you know, event. Um, so it starts with a 10-kilometre ocean swim off Noosa Main Beach. And so you do that day one and followed by a 140-kilometre ride and through some pretty tough terrain. And then day two, you, you get out at 5.30 in the morning and you do 280K on the bike with about 3,000 metres of elevation. Um, uh-huh. And then the third day is a double marathon. So on the Monday morning, 5.30 start at Noosa Surf Club and you've got 12 hours to return to the Noosa Surf Club after running 84 kilometres um, and it's they put you over some seriously tough terrain at about 16K, then again at 26, then again at 52, then again at 64. So some really good climbing um, running-wise, which is exactly what you don't want. <laughs> um and then it's it sort of, um, I, I really struggled with the event. I, I, I Honestly, I, I still want to go back and, and do it properly. I didn't give the event nearly enough respect in relation to the amount of training I did for it. Um, sure, I, I completed it. I'm official finisher and all that sort of stuff. But there was a lot of times in that event where I still drag back on now and think, geez, I could have pulled out then. You know, it was it was mm-hmm. set up for a, for a DNF for me, especially on day three when, you know, I was 20, 21, 22 Ks into a 84 K run and I was walking, definitely walking. Um, and I remember April pulled up, she was doing my crewing or with a couple of mates and she pulled up in the car and she saw me walk towards the car. And, you know, I had tears in my eyes going, this is ridiculously hard. And there might've mm-hmm. been a couple of other adjectives in there as well. <laughs> um, and she literally, she knew me well enough. She just drove off in the car. She just drove off. <laughs> she, she went. Um, <laughs> Because she's no, like, there's the no, meat. Yeah, I'm not dealing with this. You know, I'm not copping this. You're going to finish this thing. So, and it came good. You know, as the day went on, it, it um, and as most endurance events go, I I treat them now as a you know every step you take forward, you're closer to the finish line. There's not um, the when you get into the the ultra endurance world, it, it doesn't become about time anymore. You know, if you look at Right. Um, you know, most, especially in endurance running, like you, you look at it and it's like, um, and I'll speak in America, in uh, American speak, if you like, but it's, um, you know, if you've got to do, a, if someone said to you, mate, you just got to do a 14 minute mile for 24 hours. Most people that can run a marathon will say, no problem. That's I can handle yeah, that. No problem. I can do it for two days, but it's not until you hit that you know, that breaking point, wherever it is for you as an athlete, that when the eight or 10 hours in, yeah, and it's, and it's becomes a mind game and it's, it's left foot, right foot, follow the body you'll follow sort of stuff. Um, and, um, yeah, so I, I did, I got through Ultraman and this was in 2016, wasn't it? Yes. Yeah. So yep. that was basically how many years after you started your uh, 2014, so 2013, I started the weight loss journey, if you like. Okay. Um, 2014, first Ironman, and then Ultraman was 2016. So okay. Yeah, I was actually a crew member at Ultraman Australia in 2017 for a couple of Indian athletes um, who Deepak Raj actually coached. Yeah. I know, Greg, you've met Deepak before. Yeah, yeah. Um, he's also been on the show earlier. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, that the event is just, it, yeah, it's just something else. The three days. Well, are, you know you know it as well as I. So, which athletes did you, were you with? Um, I was with, oh, God, I forgot the names. The, there was the like a little, a little real little guy. Yep, anyway, yep, it'll come. Yep. It'll come back to me. So, so I helped out with the event organization that year. Oh, okay. We probably met. 
I have no doubt we probably met through because <laughs> it is such a that, that's one thing I love about Ultraman. I'm sure you can attest to this is the the it is a small community, but it is a family. It literally is a family. Yeah, exactly. It's it's quite amazing the the relationships that I've formed through a three day experience. Honestly, a three day experience that those relationships will stay with me for the rest of my life. I have no doubt about it. It's um. It's, it becomes less about the athlete and becomes a lot more about the crew at times. Um, you know, crews helping each other out, ath- crews helping other athletes out, you know, all, all these sorts of stories come out of that event. It's, it's, um, it's pretty amazing. So when are you going to compete at the event, mate? <laughs> <laughs> that's gonna that's a while away okay <laughs> but definitely on my bucket list i think it's often harder when you go on crew first because you see what the athletes <laughs> exactly. go through. yeah yeah so <laughs> oh it's awesome makes you rethink your crazy thoughts yeah exactly yeah so so yeah i did like i i, I did the event and i'll definitely go back and maybe maybe we'll do it together mate who knows <laughs> What got you past that that moment when when she drove off and and you're walking and your tears are coming out of your eyes? Speak a little bit to to what it took to get past that with what sixty k left to go. So it's not a small amount left to go. No, so that's the hard thing, right? That's when the that's when the um, well, I'll call it the pull out mentality happens and the drop off sort of happens is is that mar- that marker i think if you make it halfway you make it home because it's an out and back course uh-huh. but yes definitely you have to start to dig into why am i here what why do i want to do this and for me it was about so I, I was involved with these guys at youth off the streets and you know working with kids that have been you know affected by drugs and alcohol since some of them were born or you know or or had their own alcohol and drug addiction at 12 um, never finished school and and my whole thing around the event was I want to inspire these kids that they can do whatever they want so me getting into a motor vehicle and pulling the pin and putting up the white flag and as you said before we can tell it we can make up excuses you know for ourselves however we want you know you can justify anything that doesn't you know it doesn't really yeah anything you can make up an excuse for but so my thing was like Right, so why am I doing this? Well, that's to inspire one kid to get off his bum and or her bum and, you know, get out the door tomorrow and, you know, go for a walk or don't take drugs or whatever it may be and, and try to, for, to help them find some purpose in their life. So I think as well, and I took this into my bike ride and I use it now as well, if the cause is bigger than the pain that you're going through at the moment and you're and it's, it comes back to this accountability thing as well, like where it's not about me anymore. I've got people relying on me to keep going. And I think it becomes a whole lot easier because it, it takes it away from you as an athlete and you just become an object as part of the event, mm-hmm. which sounds a bit deep and meaningful, but I think it's important sometimes to to take your own, you know, take yourself out of it. Just It's like yeah. I'm just part of this process to help someone else. And it's it's definitely um, helped me, definitely at Ultraman, and more so on the on the ride I did um, to be able to just question every half an hour why are you doing this, why are you doing this, and then the other um, the other motto I had in my head, which which came from Craig Percival actually was um, he said to me one day he goes you are the person that chose to be here so deal with it. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> so, so pretty direct, but, you know, I chose to be there. I paid my money. I've got other people now that have given up their time, their holiday time and all sorts of things to come and help me. I've got to get this done. I'm not going to fail. So, mm. but um, you just got to have a bit of ammunition in your pockets or, you know, wherever it is in the back of your, your mind somewhere and that, that you can pull out in tough times and say, you know what, I can get through this or I've done harder than this before. That's always a good one too, mm-hmm. you know, especially if you've dealt with a bit of bit of stuff in your life, you know, whether that be, you know, relationship breakdowns, people passing away in your life or, you know, you've, you've whatever has happened, whatever's happened to you, you know, you've had a serious injury or whatever. It's like, well, that was worse than this. So I just need to muscle up and, you know, push on. See, I phrase it differently when I talk to myself. I say, why the hell are you doing this? <laughs> Don't worry, there's a bit of that too. <laughs> That's the conversation you had before the next one. What were you thinking? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, yeah, so then, um, yeah, I went through, I, I did Ultraman and and uh, I, I had, so excuse me, I had already nearly finished the planning of um, taking on this ride around Australia so to literally ride around the continent I just want to say like if we were to stop the story right here after Ultraman it would still be this amazing journey right (laughs) but then you decide to take it even further and then you decide to go for this ride around Australia which was epic (laughs) over 14,000 kilometers 9,000 miles in the span of two months yeah I mean that's just insane so talk to us about that endeavor and what it was all about yeah, so that was um, so off the back of all. I, I'd already started planning it. We were nearly, uh, you know, I started planning the the. So I left in um, finished Ultraman in May 2016, and we actually left on the ride on the 3rd of September 2016. Um, so not too long after, um, but I'd already started planning it in January 2016 that I wanted to do it. So I just sort of put the feelers out there. I, I originally had this plan um, go back. Uh, four or five years before when I when I saw a psychologist one of the things she encouraged me to do was to write a dream list which I did um, and I've still I've still got that book so anything you've ever dreamt of in your life that you'd want to do one day write it down so you know literally I've got things on there if I pulled it out now like I want to drive a Formula One car I mean that was probably (laughs) not going to happen at six foot two or six foot and um, 110 kilos but um, nor will it happen now but one of the goals was to ride my bike from Perth to Sydney across a famous stretch of road in the world called the Nullarbor Plain, which literally runs across a desert. Um, it's three and a half thousand me- uh, kilometers coast to coast, and the only form of human life that you see across probably half of that journey is a roadhouse or a petrol station service station. Every two to three hundred kilometers, um, they have no electricity. They have no running water, so they run off um, diesel generator. Um, there's nothing. Nothing can live out there except for kangaroos, camels, snakes, and mm. that's probably it, actually. So that was always the the plan to do that. And I, I sort of reached out to a couple of people and found a guy named Dave Alley, who to this day still holds the record for riding and running, believe it or not, around Australia. Mm. So he sort of encouraged me that. You know, I, he goes, mate, I was ma- I married, got four kids. I'm a full-time police officer in Queensland and I rode around the bloody country. Why don't you try that? You know, you're not married. You don't have kids. I'm like, you know what? Why not? Okay, so <laughs> we planned out this adventure and and then, it's, um, and then I set a, a goal around it that it wasn't going to be about me. It's about youth off the streets. So we set a fundraising target of 50000 Australian dollars and 
and set out to, to do it. One of the best things I did in the planning of it um, is I actually crowdfunded probably half the costs. Mm-hmm. Now, it was important for two reasons. One, it helped us financially, but more importantly, it tied in 200 people into the event, which yeah. sure, they would have been there watching anyway, but now I was financially committed to finishing this event because, you know, John Smith, who I've never even met in my life, has given me 200 bucks because he wants to see something cool happen and some guy ride his bike around Australia. Mm. So that became the why was about the two whys were I want to raise 50,000 bucks for youth off the streets because that's going to have a positive effect on at least 50 young adults in Australia that are struggling with drug, alcohol, homelessness, whatever, addictions and all that sort of stuff. And secondly, now I had 200 people's money, some of which I still to this day have never met these people that have invested their own hard-earned money into me doing something that will have a positive effect on these kids and to to some of those people um, and some of the people that gave me money to this day, I still coach. So that had a positive effect on them to create some inspiration around their life to make a change. So it was pretty easy. Um, as I don't want to sound arrogant here, but to, <laughs> it was pretty easy to get on your bike and ride every every day. That's all I had to do. I, had, I did ride every day and I rode an average of 185 kilometers through some of the hardest terrain in the world. But as, as, as hard as that sounds, it was easy because I had a van fully stocked, air conditioned, drinks, whatever. I had support all the way around. You know, we had strangers pulling over and, you know, having a chat and, you know, all that sort of stuff. We even had strangers cook us dinner some nights on the side of the road. We, it was just, it, it, was, it wasn't as hard as what it sounds as a, as a global goal. Um, <laughs> It's, I don't, and again, I don't mean to sound arrogant, but it's, it's like setting this, this new normal. So, so for train, like training was tough. Like, a, a, you know, it, it consisted, I ended up doing, um, I was living in Sydney, so pretty tough to get out and ride 200 Ks a day back to back in training, but I made it happen. So, you know, for example, one stretch of 40 kilometer road, a, a bike path, I rode it over a hundred times before I left. So the, the monotony and the boredom of that, actually really helped me in my mental state for when I was riding. So, you know, and I get up and I was, I remember at one point in training, I was in day three and I get up and it's the, it was like the middle of winter in Australia. It's like two, three degrees in Sydney and it's raining sideways. And I got to go out and ride my bike for eight hours. And I remember April getting up and she was off to work. She, she worked two jobs to fund, you know, part of this trip. Um, so she would go off to work and I remember I got home and I was shivering, whatever, and um, and she came in and she goes, oh, you haven't even done the washing yet. I'm like, hang on a minute. As soon as you left this morning, I left and I got home five minutes ago. So it was, um, it was literally I, I treated it as a job. I treated it as a job. Mm. And then we got, we got on the road and the first I always knew um, through all the research I'd done about ultra endurance stuff and what I was told through my coaches. And so I, I, I used um, – Tim Ballantyne, who who I now work with full time, um, and Craig Percival helped me out on the on the journey as well. And they both said to me, "It's going to take your body and your mind two weeks to get into the groove that this is your normal day. You know, your normal day is getting up at four thirty, getting out on your bike. It might be forty two degrees. It might be ninety percent humidity. You might have a headwind. You know, for twelve hours, but that's your normal day. 
and it did. It took me about 10 days just after we left the East Coast. So we took a big left-hand turn after we'd done uh, whatever it was, 2,000 kilometres and started heading inland. And I remember that day vividly because the first road train went past me, which is a 60-wheeled open four-trailer truck. And it, that one, when one of them comes past you, you certainly know about it. Um, and I remember thinking, right, the ride started. And it was, you know, it took me 2,000 Ks or 10 days to really dial into what, what we're doing. And, it, and that's the point where things started getting really hot and challenging as well. So, you know, for example, a, 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 one of my harder days, um, I went, it was 40 degrees at 8 a.m. in the morning, um, had a headwind at probably 20, 15 to 20 kilometers an hour straight in the face. So, Ended up doing 16 hours on the bike, went through like 16 litres of fluid and God knows what sort of food. You know, you're dropping two to three kilos in a day like that um, and you need to recover, you know, for the next day. So, you know, you're off the bike at 9pm, you've got to be back on the bike at 4.30am knowing that you're going to get the same conditions the next day. Mm. That gets a bit, that gets not a bit tough, that was tough, but it always one of the biggest things I had was as soon as I left the van at any time, there was a huge sticker on top of the door and it just said why with a question mark. So every time I walked out of the van, I had to read that and I had to, you, you could not miss it. You know, it, it was just right in front of you. So every time I looked at it, I just thought, okay, this is why I'm doing it. So, mm. you know, I'll get my drink bottles out of the freezer and, you know, April supported me the whole ride. She was there every day. She would, clean the van she at one stage she said on the on the cleaner the driver the chef the massage therapist the psychologist <laughs> you know the list went on and on and on and she goes and all you have to do is ride your bloody bike <laughs> <laughs> yeah and that's a, a big thing about support crew like you need to have and it's not just about an event like that it's life you need to have a support crew around you that support you in what you're doing so you know this might sound a bit you know, maybe even controversial, but if you're if you're someone that's listening that, you know, your your own partner in life doesn't support you in your goals that you're pursuing and they're always trying to drag you down, you're probably with the wrong person. So <laughs> maybe it's time to make a change. But I'm lucky enough that, you know, I, I've got someone there that really supports me, like anyone who's going to drive a, a van around Australia at an average of 26 kilometres an hour for you know three months is is pretty supportive so so yeah she did say at the end though she will never do that again so yeah (laughs) that's awesome yeah i think that's that's been a common theme throughout your journey the people around you who have supported you and played important roles in your whole yeah you, you you definitely need it you need to um you know we can all um we can all say especially in triathlon like you know so triathlons are a, a classic sport where people will say, oh, it's an individual sport. Well, it's not. It's, I mean, first of all, you've got to have, you know, the support of your family before you even get into the sport because, it. let's face it, it's not cheap, right? So to travel around the world and do these sorts of events, you need to have some support at home where you can financially afford it. And then, you know, outside of that, then you've got, you know, your mates that you train with, they're part of your support crew. You've got your employer. Definitely as a triathlete, your employer is a supporter of what you're doing because there's going to come times in a in a prep for, a, you know, if you're, if you're at a level now where you're thinking about doing half Ironmans and Ironmans, 
you're not going to show up on Monday morning in your peak performance every week. <laughs> Let's face it, right? So, so your employer, when you come in at, at you're supposed to start work at eight and you roll in at eight thirty with a coffee under your hand, in your hand and your your eyes are rolling out of your head, they're supporting what you're doing because they're not going to fire you. You know, they're, they're going to say, "Oh, big weekend was it?" It's like, yeah, you know, I've just trained for twelve hours or you know, or whatever it may be. So, I think that there's a lot of triathletes that and I, I see them as um, a lot of athletes in general actually but more so in triathlon they don't last in the sport because they think it's an individual sport and it's not it's just so mm. it couldn't be further from the truth it's it's definitely a team sport and Ultraman really opened my eyes up to that it was um, you know without a crew in Ultraman as you know um, Swip Neil you, you cannot complete the event you just can't do it yeah. you, you, you couldn't there's spots on that course where you won't see water for 50 kilometers. You know, you can't carry enough spares and all that. You couldn't carry enough food. Um, so it's it's um, it's definitely all about team. Um, and it always has been for, well, probably since I started in Ironman, it has been for me and it'll continue to be that for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, but compared to all your previous races or events, um, like the Ironman's Ultraman, in that, I, th- I think compared to that, your ride, was much more of a solo event right because there aren't any spectators obviously you've got your team but it's really just miles and miles of just you your mind the road and the conditions you know so it's like a whole different kind of challenge yeah it is it it definitely definitely was um it it becomes about the big thing i've said it a few times now it's about why you're doing it it's uh, you know there's there was points on that 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 ride where i have no doubt if i'd have pulled out at certain points i would not have like people would have been saying oh it's amazing what you've achieved but i just could there's no way i could do it like some of the you know we got eight days of headwind on the west coast of australia of like 30 kilometer plus winds head like literally head the trees literally grow on the side it's because they've got this prevailing southerly wind which I probably missed in my research a little bit, but um, it's um, so. so <laughs> what those, direction did the prevailing those, winds come from? <laughs> yeah, well, well, my whole idea was I did it um, anti-clockwise because I wanted a tailwind across the Nullarbor Plain, which is the flat, you know, right two thousand kilometer section from Perth to Sydney. But it just didn't happen. I mean, I probably got out of the you know two thousand kilometers. I, I might have got two hundred meters of tailwind. The rest was cross and some head and. Um, but this this eight day stretch down the west coast was it was unbearable at times. Um, and then I was lucky enough a mate of mine flew over from Sydney to Perth and he did a three day stretch with me. Um, and I thought, oh, it's just perfect timing. Like Sean's going to come over and I'll be able to sit on his wheel for a couple of days and <laughs> everything will be cool. Well, we were about sixty k's into the first day that Sean was with me, and he said. Man, I'm done. Oh. <laughs> oh. So, oh. so he last he, he did do the first day, and then he took the second day off, and then he did the third day with me. But it was just really cool to break that up mentally to have someone else there with me as well. You know, we've got some pretty cool videos where we'd pull over on the side of the road and throw up, you know, a tuft of grass and <laughs> just straight up in the air, and and at a, within three seconds it'd be thirty meters behind us, and we would just like we'd just shake <laughs> our heads and go. What are we doing out here? But um, yeah, so so at times um, you have to adapt. There has to be some adaptability in there. So 
Um, for example, I plan to go into a little seaside town of uh, Monkey Mia down on the West Coast, which is, you know, amazing for dolphins and all that sort of stuff. But it was a, a 200 kilometer journey in and then 200 out. So we canned it. You know, it's still a full lap. We just didn't do that in and out section. Mm. But we, we definitely were adaptable um, in that. And then if I felt good some days, I'd push on. So we'd look at the maps and go, right, there's another town 90 kilometers off and it's only 2 p.m. in the afternoon. I've got a little bit of a tailwind here. I'm going to push it for, you know, three, four more hours and I'll make that town, which means tomorrow is sleep in. A later day. Yeah, yeah, so it's only 80, 90K, which when you're used to riding, it's it's simple, right? If you're If you're used to running one hour a day and you only got to run half an hour a day, that's a bloody easy day. Yeah. It's all relative. The scale just goes up. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's it's um, even for someone that's starting out, like I've got a lot of athletes that are, you know, really green to the sport. So when we start out, they're walking more than they're running. So we'll do a run set and, you know, they're, they're, they're walking for 20 minutes and running for 10. And then the next week they, you know, they might be running for 15 and then all of a sudden in four weeks' time you're running for 30. Well, if I take them back to that first session, they're going to be like, Man, what are you doing? This is too easy. So it's um, it definitely is all relative to where you are at the time. And I think like with such a big endurance event, like there's only so much that you can train physically for it, right? After a point, it just becomes all mental. Yes, definitely. We I, I only trained to be able to to my only goal through training for that event was so I could make the first ten days. That was it. Yeah. We didn't even look beyond that. You you can't do it. You might as well do the event after that. You're you're trained up yeah yeah and and then you're going into a fatigue state anyway you know so we even ran a um we even ran a little taper into the start of the event like i you know didn't have the week off leading into it but i certainly wasn't doing you know four to five hundred kilometers a week you know my biggest week probably only six to seven hundred kilometers on the bike um but then week one of the ride was 1300k so it's like, uh-huh. you know, you can do all the training you want. And I was fit. I was, I was relatively fit starting. Um, but after 10 days, it just didn't, you know, you, I, I obviously became super fit, but also super fatigued. Thin lines. So, you know, looking at the training peaks data and stuff, and we adjusted my thresholds as we went as well, like you should. And, and some of the numbers I was pumping out were ridiculous. But if you ask me to go, let's say my average heart rate some days I'd do, and this is all relative, so my average heart rate might have been 110 for the entire day and I've ridden 200 kilometres. But if you asked me to ride for 10 minutes at a heart rate of 125, I'd fall off the bike. Hmm. So I just had no legs left. There was, no, there was not much in the hmm. tank on day 78. I'd, I sort of had had enough by um, like driving from Sydney to Melbourne many times, I know that route really well. It's about 700 kilometres. So I knew what was happening um, on the way home. So when I made it to Melbourne, I, I sort of, once you sort of think, oh, I'm home. Well, there was a few hard days in there, like really hard. My hardest day of climbing was the third last day of the entire event. So you sort of, it sort of taught me as well, don't clock off till the finish. Um, and I think that's not mm. just a representation of how to act in an event. That's life. You know, don't clock off until the goal's done. You know, we've all seen the, the marathon finish videos of the guy celebrating down the chute and old mate runs past him, you know, or, or they stumble <laughs> or right. the, the cyclist that tries to 
take his hands off the bar and crashes at the end. So um, I think I, I – and I did. I did make sure that when I'd finished the event, sure it was a week later or whatever when everything settled down and there was a lot of media and stuff around what we did and so I got through all that. But then I, I sat down and I took the learnings out of what have we learned from this experience? You know, what what if someone asked me tomorrow what, you know, what are the three biggest takeaways from it? Well, you know, I can I can tell them that, you know, don't clock off till till the job's done. It's things like that. Or have a why. Make sure your why is bigger than you. You know, that's that's such a simple thing that even if you're mm. you know, for for someone who's even contemplating getting into endurance sport, you've just got to have an understanding as to why. And and I like one of the most common things I hear is I want to inspire my kids that they can achieve anything that they they want in life. And so to coach an athlete like that is a really cool experience because time doesn't matter. It's all about getting to the finish line because when you when you hit the finish line in an Ironman triathlon and you've got your five and your seven year old there, they do not care one bit whether mum or dad did 11 12 13 14 or 15 hours they want to see the medal hmm. and that's what you you know that's what that's what the goal was to to get out and I, I often remind athletes of that so they get closer to an event and they say oh, what do you what time do you reckon's possible and i'm like well what was your goal when we started the journey oh, i want to show the kids that they can achieve anything that they you know possibly can it's like so why does time matter Let's just get the event done the best way you can and have a smile. When you're going on the run and you see your kids out there and you know they should be in bed, you want to be smiling when you're running towards them and not have your tongue hanging out. <laughs> <laughs> so, so it becomes a totally different goal to you know someone who maybe wants to qualify for Kona. It's like, okay, well, what have the athletes done last year? Where, where do you need to be you know, 20, 16, 12, eight weeks out so you can achieve that? So just be, it's, a, it's a different thing, but at the end of the day, the, the athlete, they may be different, but they're all chasing their why, you know, why they want to do it. So you, you are aiming for Kona now. Your next big goal is to qualify for Kona this year. Yeah, well, you're throwing me under the bus there, mate. <laughs> <laughs> that's the goal. That's, that's well, you the, did yeah, say that's it. The goal. Yeah, absolutely. So, it's, um, so yes, definitely um, I've, I've been um, – so, so let's just go back a step. So post-finishing that ride in 2016 – I literally haven't done any. I haven't not done an event since then. I have not done an event, and and um, so one of the learnings I've had out of that now is that for me personally, as a as a human being, really, rather than athlete, I need to have a goal set. My next goal prior to finishing the one I'm on. Mm. So, you know, I've already. I'm not going to say anything about post this year, but I do have a goal for next year um, that that I'm already starting to research and starting to work on because I know. So I'm going to. Uh, attempt to qualify in Cairns in Australia in June and um, all the bickies are on the line like it's I'll leave no stone unturned whatsoever um, in relation to how I prepare for the event and you know everything around it Um, and and then I I have my goal for Cairns is to finish the race and be able to look myself in a mirror and say I could not done it one more thing in relation to being able to qualify and then it's up to what happens at roll down as an athlete, I'm not a I'm not a nine hour guy. I'm not a sub nine hour guy. I'm going to struggle um, on the run, especially. I'm a I'm a bigger type of athlete, but I know that I can you know put some time into some guys on the bike and and then I can suffer on the run and and then cross your fingers come roll down. Cairns gets a good good amount of slots in my age group and they roll down. So that's why I've targeted the event. Um, and then 
you know, so then it'll be working. If that all comes to fruition, it'll be working into Kona. If it doesn't, I'll start focusing on the 2020 goal, which will be a little, it's a little bit different, but it, it'll be um, just as exciting. So there's, there's definitely now a, a trajectory of planning for me over the next 12 months, as opposed to when I finish the ride, I actually put on 20 kilos, <laughs> excuse me, within, you know, a 12 to 18 month period. I, I was starting to, so mentally I was still an athlete, but the, the old food habits started coming back, you know, I, and I definitely don't go out drinking like, like I did, but, you know, I, I do like, I enjoy a beer. So, you know, I'd have a couple of beers every now and then. So the weight started coming back on. So I flipped the switch in, in April last year and, and now I'm back to, you know, where I was pretty much when I finished the ride weight-wise. So it's just about being, and again, accountability. So I've got a, co- my, so my business partner and the guy I work with, Tim, he coaches me. So mm. I don't write my own program. I have a coach myself. Um, and I think that's crucially important for me as an athlete. Whereas if, um, if you had him on the podcast, he looks after himself and that's just the difference in we've got an understanding of, you know, where we're at as athletes and what we need um, and, and how to get the best out of ourselves. And for me, that's having the accountability of having a coach. Absolutely. Uh, it speaks, it speaks a lot when the coach needs a coach. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, yeah, I, I've, it's, um, and it's not about the pro like look, I, I've got enough knowledge and experience in the sport where I could I could write my own program. Absolutely, no problem at all. And um, and it probably wouldn't be too dissimilar to what Tim writes for me. But you know, and there's a financial cost for that. You know, he doesn't, <laughs> you know, nothing's for free in this world. And even though we work together, there's no, you know, that's that's just part of what we do and what I need. Um, and and another example, and my partner April, I don't coach April. I mean, it's just I'm not the right fit for her. So it's it's um, it's probably better for our relationship too. But um, it's it's um, it's about finding the right person that's going to help you get to your best result, not someone else's. Your best result. And I think um, often and and never be afraid to to move on from a coach. I mean, it's I say this, you know, as a if I was looking at it as a businessman, I would never say that, but that's not who I am. I'm a coach. And, um, you know, there's there's plenty of people out there that have represented their country and, and at Olympic level and one, you know, they don't have the first coach they ever had at six years of age. They've had three to four coaches as they've developed through time. So, right. so never be afraid to move on. I mean, you can keep your relationship absolutely because it does become, I would consider most of my athletes friends, which again, as a business Sometimes you'd say, oh, that's not a great idea. But again, it's like, well, that's who you have to be. You know, you have to be mm. a, a tough friend, you know, a friend that, you know, sometimes I say to athletes on the phone, all right, this isn't going to be a nice conversation. So I'm going to put my coach's hat on, you know, so, <laughs> yeah. that, so they know what's coming. It's like, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm doing this for your best interest, but I can't be the person that gives you a hug at the moment. That's not me. That's for your partner. Um, or your family or, your, you know, your mum or your dad. But at the moment, we need to have a proper conversation about where you're tracking in your relation to your goals. So, and what you're employing me for. <laughs> that's, that's the, you know, at the end of the day, it's, an, it's um, our athletes are our employers. So right. we need to keep them happy. So when did coaching become a thing for you? Uh, post the ride, um, I started getting just on, you know, it's like most coaches start, I suppose. I started getting some... Facebook messages or text messages about love what you did on the ride. It's amazing. Here's my goal for the year. Can you help me? I'm like, sure, no worries. Let's have a chat. So 
Um, I go out and spend, you know, it was always obviously people that I knew to start with and then um, that sort of grew out from there. Um, I was a bit lost um, in relation to Korea when I got back from the ride and obviously you need to pay the bills as well. So we started doing some coaching stuff to, to help with that. And then it sort of grew to a point. So I was doing that part-time. Uh, I was doing a couple other like small things. I did some work in the bike industry with a sponsor that helped me for, for my bike ride, but I wasn't really fulfilled in any of that. And then uh, we made the decision to move up to the Sunshine Coast in April last year. And I partnered up with, so Tim Ballantyne owns a, a, the business called Coa Sports. And, and um, we've you know, come to an agreement where I'm going to be the first, apart from him, um, the first full-time coach. So um, once I decided that I was going to, which is uh, mid mid to late last year, that I was going to, or mid last year, um, that I was a full-time coach, the ball game changed entirely. Um, so, you know, I'm a coach now. I'm not a, you know, at the time in Sydney before we moved up here just to, you know, boost the bank balance I was doing some uber driving you know um but that took away from the amount of time I was spending on my athletes mm. so to go full time which was a, a big step well you know for a lot of reasons um it's really just it's the best thing I've ever done in for work life I mean how hard is it to get up every day and you know speak to athletes about their goals and help them through their own journey to success through endurance sport I just I absolutely love it it's amazing and you know the the plat we use training peaks as a platform so we have a global reach which is absolutely awesome um and where this podcast is a great example so, you know, i'm on the sunshine coast robin's in the states and, and and you're in india mate so it's um it's it just time is no barrier anymore and, and distance is no barrier for us as, as coaches so we can have the unless you're an athlete that lives within 10 minutes of me, we're having the same conversation. So whether you're in Brisbane, Melbourne, you know, Bangalore or, you know, wherever, wherever you can be, LA, whatever you want to, wherever you want to be, um, it's, um, it's just been such a rewarding step in, in how um, I can help more and more people. So my, you know, one of my whys for coaching is I want to inspire and encourage athletes to have the same or similar, I shouldn't say the same, but the similar level of um, euphoria, if you like, that I've had over the last four years. Mm. Because it is such an amazing experience when you finish some something, and it doesn't even have to be a, a triathlon or endurance event, but when you finish something that you know you've worked your ass off for, you know, six, 12, 18 months, two years, five years, when you complete that, there's nothing in this world that can replace that feeling, whether that's, you know, Sometimes it's only such a short amount of time, but you're like, geez, I want to feel like that again. And I think that's what we often hear this thing. And usually it's outside of the endurance world that that people get addicted to the sport. It's like, no, not really. I, I just think that people crave the feeling of the euphoria that they get when they finish. Um, and addiction for me is something that you're not in control of, whereas when you're competing in endurance sport, you are totally in control of your own destiny. Yeah, I guess that word's been overused and thrown around a bit. Oh, it does my head in. <laughs> <laughs> you know, one statement that caught my attention on your website about work-life balance was that you've written, life isn't about a balance of both work and pleasure, but rather life should incorporate what makes you, you, and be a continual motion forward towards a common goal. Yeah. 
So I, I absolutely love that statement. I just wanted people to hear that. Yeah, it's um, uh, I the work life balance thing. It's it's funny you say that. Um, I remember obviously that being on my site, and Tim and I were talking about this last week in our meeting about this word balance. Um, so if you look at us as um, athletes or the way we live our lives, it's totally out of balance. You know, it's um, you know, one month where we're pushing towards, or right now for me, I'm pushing towards like a, a, a my best ever Ironman result in Cairns. Um, now to get there, my life's not in inverted commas, not in balance. You know, um, training 20 to 25 hours a week is not a balanced lifestyle. Um, so it's eat, sleep, train. Whereas when I finish the event or whenever I have a rest, it goes back the other way. So it'll be like, you know, rest will be a lot bigger part of my life. Recreation, you know, I live, I live in the, near the ocean, so I'll be in the ocean a lot more or things like that. But it's sort of this, you've got to, your, you've got to live your life where you're at at the moment. And I think if, if training makes you happy, train. You know, if <laughs> it's, um, it's, it's sort of like don't, don't come into it with this um, a perfect pizza wheel that, you know, 33% of your time needs to be spent with your family and 33% spent on this and 33% spent on that because I've seen it so many times um, that that balance doesn't work um, because sometimes it might be better that you're, you know, I, I often see it with our athletes and their partners are like he's he or she is so much happier since they've been doing more training and they're so much more fun to be around at home. Hmm. It's like great, so they're at home less, but we're having more fun. Hmm. So it's uh, yeah. So so I just don't I just don't like the term like work life balance or balance. It's just life. It's just life. Um, and and going through, you know, weeks are different, months are different, and years are definitely different. So. Um, you just got to keep keep flowing with it and following your following your heart. I think that's the biggest thing: following your heart and your mind to where you want to be, not where you know your not where your coach wants you to be. What you know where you want to be, not where your 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 wife or your husband wants you to be or your partner. It's where you want to go. You know, it's often I see um, athletes are really dragged down by 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 partners, which is devastating to see because you see them. When they're showing their full potential, it's like, wow, this is amazing. There's some really cool stuff happening, and then all of a sudden, that it, it just gets wiped out um, by by the beliefs and and not that they're wrong, but the beliefs of someone else. So I think you got to follow your own journey. Yeah, absolutely love that. One question I wanted to ask is, like, along your entire journey, where do you think it was that you were able to say with confidence that you had left behind at least a majority of that old you and become a completely new person in terms of mindset? Like you mentioned that you gained some weight after the ride, but you had that mindset of an athlete that allowed you to, you know, not go overboard with it. So how, when did that happen? Yeah. Um, I'd say really quickly for me, it, sort of after that three month period, when I lost the weight, I started thinking of myself as an athlete, as opposed to a well, I probably would have identified myself then as if you said to me. So if you are, if if I meet someone in the street today and they say, "What do you do?" I'm, I'm like, "Well, I'm a co- I'm a full time endurance sports coach and I'm an athlete." Whereas if you'd have said that to me five six years ago, if someone in the street ran into me and said, "What do you do?" I would have said, "I'm a real estate agent." So my entire perception of who I was changed really quickly, and that can be longer for for some people as well. Um, but Funny story, it actually, your question prompted me to, I was just smiling to myself. When I lost all the weight and I started competing in triathlon, I wasn't drinking anymore. So my social group dramatically changed um, Mm. 
for the for the good, to be honest. Um, and it's um, I look back now, and there's uh, there's probably three people that were in my life then, or plus my parents. So let's say five people in my life then that I still associate with now. So then my entire social structure changed. Um, so on Facebook at the time, there was a there was a group that was started. Um, I think it's probably still there, and it was called bring back big Greg. So all these people said I wasn't, you know, I wasn't as fun anymore. I'm like, yeah, but I wasn't as fun for you. So when I was cracking jokes at the pub after I'd had 12 beers and, you know, we were doing all sorts of stupid things out, you know, in the city at at three o'clock in the morning. Yeah, sure. You might've thought that was fun. But for me, that was just a mask of how I was actually feeling. Mm -hmm. So I, I sort of I remember looking, and I engaged with it a little bit. Uh, not really, but I did a little bit of, when it started. And and it's funny the people that were involved in that aren't really part of my life anymore. Um, and not through you know it wasn't a conversation where I was like yeah, you get stuff you know I'm never talking to you again sort of thing. It just happened. It just it just happened. Um, you know over a period of time, instead of you know we um, when I through the whole process, I, I obviously met April and and I remember one night I'm like geez I've really changed. Um, we got invited to, I think it was a 30th birthday party. And I sort of looked at it and I went, I don't really want to go. Like it, it wasn't going to finish till midnight and, you know, we would have been yeah. having a few drinks and I've got a five o'clock bike session in the morning and I want to hang out with those guys and, you know, go and have a really good bike session and then have a coffee with them and catch up and talk about bike stuff as opposed to coming home at midnight hungover and swapping the same stories from when we were 18 years of age at, you know, like school stories. It's like, it just does, there was no substance to those relationships. So um, I consciously made a decision um, just to, just to do my own thing. And naturally there was a bit of resentment as um, there's always people in this world, no matter what level you get to that will try and drag you back to their level. Um, And I think that's more a reflection of the insecurities they have, as opposed to you doing better. And we see that, look, Australians are great for that, like the tall poppy syndrome. I think the Americans do it a lot better. Um, they actually uh, will really get around someone that's successful, whereas over here it's like, oh, he's got too much money or he's selling drugs or he's, you know, oh, what's who's he, who's he think he is? It's like, I'm just trying to do my own thing, you know, and just get out there and, and, and practice, you know, what I know is going to make me a better person. So, mm, Yeah, that's amazing. Okay, then. Um, I, mean, I wish we had more time to dig deeper on some areas. <laughs> we could talk for a few more hours, but we better wrap it up. No one's gonna, everyone will be dialing out by now. It's true. <laughs> Maybe we could save that for another day. But, Greg, okay, so we got a final few questions here just to take us to the end. What's the message you would want people listening to take away from your story? Yeah, um, the main message I would say is just get after your own goals, your own dreams, um, find out your why, and just... Just tra- just track it down. Just keep going um, and set out a clear plan as to who's got to be around you. You know what you've got to have in place in your life to be able to move forward and, and get to your goals. But but just you know just have a dream and and follow it. That'd be my main message in life, actually. Great. Okay. And are there any people or brands that you'd like to give a shout out to? Well, I better um, help out my own business. So eh? is that? <laughs> I'm only joking. <laughs> sure. um, but uh, yeah, I am. A, I am a full-time endurance coach with um, Color Sports. So if you did want to, um, and that's not what this is about whatsoever for me. Um, but if you did want uh, any help with training, it's colorsports.com.au. Um, and um, and then if you are ever in Noosa, 
I'll give out another uh, another plug. If you want to come and train at the, I think that one of the best regions of the world to do endurance sports training, come up to Noosa, hunt me down, and make sure you go and see Trilogy Cycles at Noosa Heads. Um, the guys up there are amazing. That's great. Awesome. Okay, and before we ask our last question, tell everyone where they can find you online, social media. Yeah, sure. So. Yep. So online Instagram is Greg McDermott Coach um, is the probably the best place to find me. But I uh, or Coa Sports on Facebook or Coa Sports O One on Instagram. But if you just um, get to Greg McDermott Coach on Insta, you'll be able to hunt me down from there. And it is actually me. I'll be replying to any messages. So I don't have a a robot or six six um, admin staff to help me <laughs> like you guys, right? Not, not like you guys. You guys are in the same boat. So um, if you do, um, if you want to track me down, that's probably the best way. Great. And our last question is why do you try? To make myself the best version of myself every day. Simple as that. Love it, love it, love it. That is great. All right, Greg. This has been amazing. It's probably, I think, our longest episode till now. <laughs> and we could have gone on a lot longer. But yeah, it's been amazing having you on the show. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, thank you very much, guys, and enjoy your enjoy your day. You too. You know it, you want it. It's your guilty pleasure. Community comments with Charles. Our section C Cube is here for you. Please drop us your comments about the hot podcast and we will reveal one on every episode. Next week, it could be yours. Today, we don't have a random review machine working. Well, actually, it is me recording this section last minute in Oxford Circus in London, UK, on a Monday morning to be quickly sent to the other side of the world, to Melbourne, Australia, for post-production, so you can enjoy this week's CCC in time. Anyway, this time we go to the town of Camas in Washington State in the USA, and our hot listener says, this podcast introduces you to the people that participate in the sport. It's not all about the superstars or winners, just real people making progress. It's amazing to learn about some of these athletes, truly inspirational. And this comes from Mr. Matt Legrand. Matt, thank you very much for your kind words. So please, please, please remember we are everywhere, like God, pretty much. Facebook, Instagram, Strava, our website, humansoftriathlon.com, and every single podcast on platform on planet Earth. Sorry. And that's it. So see you later, alligators. Thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks for being a part of this Humans of Triathlon community. Hope you're enjoying the show and the other content. Make sure to join us again next week here on the Hot Podcast, where we'll bring you another amazing guest and story from this Audrey but extra Audrey world of triathlon. Until then, everyone, keep trying.